Reese's peanut butter cups are the greatest, but let me play devil's advocate here. Let's see. So, no, that's a good thing. Uh, <laughs> that's definitely not a problem. Uh, Reese's, you did it. You stumped this charming devil. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Roto Experts Fantasy Football Podcast. My name is Davis Maddock. You can find me on Twitter at Davis Maddock. In this episode of the show, I am joined by Peter Overzet, uh, a, t- a recurring Take Cast guest, but wanted to bring him on the Roto Experts show to talk a little bit about the FFPC and uh, I-, I guess really just some strategy in like like bigger buy-in leagues, uh, tight end premium leagues, because I-, I think pretty much everyone has one league that they care about the most, and uh, you know I just think we could talk a little bit just about kind of preparing for that and uh, you know just maybe some general strategy takeaways. But Peter, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing good, man. I'm I'm doing good. Excited to talk about FFPC main event. I feel like this year we're kind of reaching a crescendo where kind of everybody is in one of these contests, whether it's, you know, uh, Levitan and Silva getting in these 350 football guys or uh, you and Dink and Leone registering for the main event. It's fun to have everyone competing in uh, similar contests. It feels like it feels like now all the fantasy football touts are are playing in the high stakes formats now. Like it feels like, especially with a uh, million dollars up top on draft, and you know the the barrier of entry on draft is actually not super high. Like to to access the biggest prize in seasonal fantasy football this year, the the entry fee is twenty five bucks. Now, I mean, obviously, a lot of guys are spending twenty five bucks, you know, one hundred and fifty times or whatever. But uh, yeah, it, it feels like the the two worlds of like high stakes fantasy football, fantasy football touts. It feels like now it's much close. Like the, the Venn diagram is starting to overlap much more. Yeah, I know it. It goes both ways, right? Because then you have those kind of high stakes grinders, Nelson Sousa and David Hubbard. They're they're more now in the in the content game too. So they're mm-hmm. they're drifting, and everyone's kind of overlapping in this hodgepodge. It's it's definitely fun. Which I I I love, right? Like I I love that. Yeah, I, although Hubbard, uh, he was trashing a football guys draft we did uh, last week where we went zero RB and zero tight end. Uh, and he said we were 20 to one to win uh, our individual league. And I tried to get him to make that bet with me, but but he wouldn't do it. So I think he might be a little more bark than bite, but uh, I, I still like I got to give I got to give some props to uh, to the football guys championship winner from uh, I can't remember if it was last year or the year before Noah Ruddle or Noah Riddell. He actually booked me at uh, at 15 to one to win my FFPC, uh, my pros versus Joe's league, which you did one as well, right? Yeah, yeah. You were one. Of, you were the first draft, right? Yeah, I was the very first one. And I'll be honest, after drafting my team, I should be like three to one to win this league. My team, my team in this format is dope because I think I guess the the key I think to the FFPC format. So this goes if you're playing in the Football Guys Players Championship. This goes if you're playing in the main event. I think the key is if you don't get Travis Kelsey, you you absolutely cannot panic about tight end like taking. Taking, uh, you know, Darren Waller in the tenth round, or taking OJ Howard in the third round, like some, like some of these leagues where people go absolutely nuts for the tight end. Our our projections on Roto Experts would indicate, even with the tight end premium, that's really not a good idea. I agree with almost all of that. The only caveat I'll say in uh, is I have a ton of George Kittle this year. I'm not uh, passing on him. Uh, I in think the that's second. fine. 
but I agree with you. Uh, I, I'm, I'm out on Ertz, and if I don't get Kelsey or Kittle, I'm not paying the premium. Like, you know, some of these guys, Mark Andrews, you know, he's going in the seventh, eighth round of some of these FFPC drafts, and that's just way too rich um, considering the options he, that are available later. Mark, Mark Andrews is like 30th percentile outcome is like 38 targets. Like that's, a, that's like a real that's – in, that's in like the, the, the like margin of error of his median projection. Yeah, I, I mean, he because you see this with a lot of players, right? Like the hype building where they start as undervalued. Like, I don't know, he was probably going in like the 13th, 14th round at the beginning of the offseason, which, you know, there's lots of room for upside there. But then once it gets like beaten into oblivion and he's going in the 7th and 8th, then you're, you're hoping for the top range outcome with no room for anything extra. Yeah, so I, I would say I'm, I'm planning on kind of taking that philosophy into all tight end premium leagues this year. I, I actually thought it was the same way with the Scott Fishbowl. So I took, I took Travis Kelsey in the first round in the Scott Fishbowl, but I, I was not going to take Ertz. I, I was thinking about Kittle, and I would actually say Kittle's, like, Kittle's median projection has to be a lot better now with all of this Dante Pettis stuff. Like, it seems like the offense is going to be George Kittle and then, like, a bunch of rotating dudes. Yeah. And I mean, so the thing about those three tight ends, obviously last year with the 1.5 premium, they obliterated even most of the top end wide receivers in this format. Uh, the, I think the knock normally against Kittle is that his yards after the catch isn't sustainable, but he actually underperformed his targets as far as touchdowns go. And I, I think there's a lot of room there for that to balance out. So the fact that you can get him in the late second of tight end premium, when I'm willing to take him in like the late second of just regular leagues, cause I right. like having that dominant tight end. It, I just have a hard time passing on him. Uh, even at, like in my pros versus Joe's, I took him in the early second because I think in the best ball too, there's even a case for, cause it's freeing up roster spots later in the draft too. So there's no, a, that's, if you take an elite tight end, you only have, you should only take three tight ends. I took, so in my pros versus Joe's, I took four because my best tight end was Kyle Rudolph. So it was like, it was like a, it, it was a, it was as the kids might say, a tough scene for my tight ends in the FFPC. Yeah. Yeah, no, I mean, and so have you guys gotten, because you're online, have you gotten your, your main event draft slot yet? I, so we are recording this the morning after, uh, like, that promotion was done. <laughs> so I bet, I bet it is sitting in Drew Dinkmeyer's inbox, but it's not been passed to Leone and I yet. So I bet we know. Okay. Yeah, so Pat and I, we got the uh, – Pat Corain and I are drafting uh, live in Vegas. We're one of the later drafts, and we drew the seven slot. Which, oh, so the worst spot. Yeah, it's see. So the only silver lining is I do like um, just generally picking in the middle of rounds versus at one of picking the turns. At, yeah, because picking at the turns is the worst because you're basically always reaching on a guy and then and then you're taking a player that a bunch of other sharp people decided they didn't want at cost. Yeah. Yeah, but like, but like you said, otherwise, as far as like what players are available it, in just construction in those first three rounds, it sucks. I mean, the teams that pick in the top three, at least how I like to draft, have such an advantage because obviously they get the bell cow. Then coming back, like you're eligible for like a Dalvin Cook slipping. You can grab a tight end there if you'd like. And then early in the third, you have all these options too. All the good wide receivers and carry on Johnson still there in the early third if you like that. Like there's just so many more avenues for building your team versus when you're at the seven, like 
your hands are pretty much tied. You, you're having to go like wide receiver, tight end, or tight end, wide receiver. What well, if, wide receiver, wide receiver. What, I mean, what if uh, like this Ezekiel Elliott stuff still is not resolved and he's still sitting there for you guys at seven? How, how, how do you think that you guys would respond to that? Well, that's interesting, right? Because we'll, we'll be drafting the day before the, the full season starts. Yeah, so if he's not back then, I mean, I, I trust we would have some decent report similar to the Le'Veon thing last year. I think Pat and I would probably pass on him there if it sounded like super dour. Um, I don't know. I, I, you know, right now the FFPC ADP, right, it's the top five running backs, Kelsey six, and then Hopkins seven. So I think we're most realistically looking at Kelsey or Hopkins, but I did even in um, a recent football guys draft, we did uh, Hopkins and Kelsey went off the board before David Johnson. So there is yeah. like what a 10, 15% chance. One of those running backs fall. Yeah. I mean, if you get David Johnson, you got to be like wheeling away doing cartwheels. Yeah. We'll lose our mind if we, <laughs> cause last year we, we drafted from the one hole and we loved our start. We went girly Kelsey Diggs, and those guys all smashed. Oh, so you won the main event, right? Uh, no. Uh, <laughs> how, how, how has it gone for you guys in the past? I don't even actually like know how you guys have finished. Yeah. Because we brush it under the rug. Uh, no, this will be the fourth year. I was actually writing up some articles for fourth for four and looking at how we've done. Um, last year, we finished third in our individual league. The thing that killed us was, you know, we had Kelsey and Gurley who crushed, except they were both on bye in the first round of playoffs week 12. Oh, wow. Yeah, so that, that is we, brutal. We were just, but what's so sick and the same thing's happening this year, right? Because I believe it's the, the Chiefs. Kansas, Kansas City and Arizona both have a week 12 bye. Yeah, so obviously lots of players you want on those offenses the goal is to finish top two so you get that buy because then you crush with those guys on buy and, and then, then you miss that. the first week yeah um but yeah so we haven't we haven't done uh super well uh, we're still trying to advance to the to the mega championship and it's going to be hard again this year without because Pat and I are pretty staunch zero RB guys and we don't like a lot of these running backs that are going to be there for us you know, the options for running backs mid second, mid first and mid third are all kind of like, it's all, it's like, if you were, if you were like a RB truther, you'd be going like, you'd be going like Le'Veon Bell, uh, Dalvin Cook, Leonard Fournette. And then your team would be like that. Like, I guess if you wanted to do something hyper fragile, that would be, that's about as hyper fragile as it could ever get. That start, that start is, would tilt me so hard. Yeah. And the thing that we've been thinking about in general, you see in the main event, as you get close to the season, the wide receivers start to inch up. Like mm -hmm. last year, Pat and I were on the clock in the fifth and the sixth round wanting to take wide receivers. And we were like plugging our noses. We took Allen Robinson and Josh Gordon just trying to swing for the fences. But this year it's different because the, the, you know, the, the excitement around IRBs has gone crazy. Like you're loading up on, the Ridleys and the Tyler Boyds and the Christian Kirks in actually very desirable wide receivers there. So I'm hopeful it sets up better this year for zero RB. You guys will probably be able to get DJ Moore at 507, I would think. Yeah, I mean, I've been it'll taking be, it'll be close. It'll be very close. No, you're right. Yeah, we've uh, the thing is, is I don't mind some of the consolation prizes like you know, I don't mind then reaching for Kirk if you have to. I don't mind Jarvis Landry either in the fifth. That's where his ADP – or he's going um, sixth now. 
But yeah, I just think there's a lot better options. Now in your pros versus Joe's, you kind of did modified, right? Did you take Marlon Mack, I want to say, in like the fourth? Yeah, I took – so I, I had the I had the rap pick in that draft. And Mack is at 312 where I took him was I, – I still like – I guess it was good value until the stuff like with Andrew Luck coming out where it's like seems like maybe he just won't play this year or whatever, which like I Mack was – because – well, nothing matters in pros versus Joes except for winning your league. There's no, there's no value tied up in your 12-man league in anything but getting first place. So uh, I drafted a, like a, a super zero RB team. Like my, my second running back after Marlon Mack is Jalen Samuels, basically. Yeah. Um, but Mack, was, Mack and Josh Jacobs were the two guys who go in the third and fourth round who I was kind of willing to make an exception for in that like super trap running back range. Yeah. Now I think Mac is gone. Like Mac is out of that conversation for me now because 100% of Mac's value is tied up in the Colts being a good team. And if the Colts are not going to be a good team, Marlon Mack's going to have a horrible fantasy year. Yeah. And, uh, you know, you talk about that trap stuff. Uh, I think it was Ryan Collinsworth at Rotoviz had a really good series this offseason looking at why all those running backs in that kind of fourth, fifth are traps. And it's largely because they get the majority of their points via rushing. And that just mm-hmm. makes them way more, you know, risky assets. So if you can, and there's such good, there's such an opportunity cost to taking the running backs there because you can be getting a Brandon Cooks, a DJ Moore, et cetera. Yeah, and just in general, like tailoring your roster around running backs who get their points on the ground as the league is completely going the other way is just like not sharp. So, you know, I I, in in these formats, I'm going to be targeting a lot of guys who are sort of in like kind of uncertain situations or have pass catching upsides. One guy who I think is going to fall that could end up being a decision maker in like the actual main event final or or in the draft basketball championship is Daryl Henderson. So. Right now, his ADP is, like, cratering because he was playing in the third quarter of that preseason game, that first preseason game that the Rams had while Malcolm Brown and Todd Gurley were sitting. But I I do sort of think, like, and I'm curious your opinion, do you still sort of think that the Rams kind of have this plan for him and that maybe maybe it's not going to come out right away and maybe he needs to get out there and get hit by NFL linebackers a couple times before they're ready to, like, turn the offense to him? Yeah, no, I'm glad. I, I think this is one of the most interesting things happening right now is the like the Miles Sanders, Daryl Henderson, like ADP ships passing in the sea. Yeah, yeah. And whereas like Miles Sanders was like a six zero RB candidate. Now he's like too expensive. And Daryl Henderson's now like falling perfectly in that sweet spot where you can get him in the seventh or the eighth. And I'm with you. I, I mean, I'm not saying anything new here. Every decision the Rams have made since like week nine last year has said like, we don't trust Todd Gurley. Yeah, Gur- Gurley's hurt. Every single decision. And so I guess you could, if you want, you know, make the argument that Malcolm Brown's going to be a big part of it, which I guess is fine. But, you know, like you said, we're trying to win these leagues, not just like get baseline running back production. And if a yeah. running back in that backfield's going to do it, it's Henderson. So yeah, I'm, I'm loving him in the seventh or eighth now. Yeah. So I, I actually, this is, this is maybe a more of like a, a wonky question, but how do you guys approach kickers and defenses in these leagues? Like how active is the bidding for kickers and D's on the waiver wire? Like, are, are you battling out for these like streaming options? 
No, I, I mean, we, we do stream uh, regularly. We, we've never, you know, drafted a kicker defense before the second or third to last round. And, you yeah. know, t- teams definitely do it. I think there's maybe a little more merit to reaching, say, for a kicker just so you can. That, yeah, than a defense. But the defense, it's just when people reach for them, that's, that's really one of the silliest things because you are wanting to, even with the elite defenses, you still would prefer to play the matchups. Um, and so churning on the waiver wire and because what happens is these guys, they have kind of like that, uh, that sunk cost fallacy where they've, you know, drafted the bears in the 11th round. And so then they're so just, they got to start them. the bears. Yeah. So then the waiver actually isn't that competitive for the top streaming option. So if you just have like, you know, you plan on like four or five bucks each week on your preferred defense and you have a few contingencies, like we've never had issues with that. Okay, because that is like, I mean, I, that is sort of just sort of this interesting thing. Like everyone kind of agrees kicker and defenses is like, you know, a, everyone other than Danny Carter agrees that kicker and defense is just sort of like a variance best. So I, I just think I thought it was interesting that, uh, you know, that these that these big high stakes leagues where millions of dollars are going to change hands, uh, you know, are going to rely on the Jacksonville Jaguars defense or whatever. Yeah, and obviously it's different in the pros versus Joes in the best ball where you need a certain amount. You need at least, you know, three defenses, three kickers to be competitive in that format. But as far as the main event... I only, I only took two kickers. Did you? Well, I've already lost one of mine, Chandler Catanzaro retiring. Uh, so uh, I'm down, and I'm, Matt, Matt Bryant got cut too, I think. Yeah, man, kickers are brutal. But yeah, in the main event, uh, streaming kickers and defenses, at least in our three individual league so far has been very easy doable it's the last thing I stress out about in this format yeah okay so how about uh it are I would imagine that the week one waivers does like someone get the hammer laid down like what if you remember what Philip Lindsay went for in your league last year I actually think he was drafted drafted ours where and that's another huge difference between you know you'll be drafting earlier uh when do you draft like Saturday or Sunday uh, I, I believe that we draft Monday, August 26th. Yeah. So like, there's still a chance that you're able to like get an edge on some like player evals before they've maybe fully blown up in the preseason. Whereas like the Philip Lindsay, Tyler Boyd, who were great picks last year is like, there was already like whispers and you know, the tea leaves that these guys were going to have bigger roles. So those guys start to go when you're doing the live main event drafts a day before, uh, but yeah, so I actually, I like the idea for you guys of being able to draft early and kind of take advantage of all the players. Yeah, I think I would, I would rather, if I had the choice of drafting, you know, two weeks before the season or the day of the start, I would prefer two weeks before. Yeah, and it, it goes both ways, right? I mean, there were guys in, in main event drafts last year drafting Jarek McKinnon in the third round after Adam Schefter had blasted to the world that he, you day know, was ACL. out. So there, there still is an edge. It, it can go both ways. I saw, you know, some people think that the people who register for the early slot, like we did, um, that means those are more the grinders who are, and then the people that sign up at the last minute might be more soft. I feel like you can make arguments in every direction. No, my, my take, my take would be the live drafts in Vegas have to be much more likely to be like tourists or just like, you know, they're on a, they're on a bachelor trip, but they're boys or whatever. Like it's something like that. I feel like the online drafts got to be 0% soft that that's got to be like a, an early main event draft <laughs> online only. That's got to be grinders only. That's got to be that's got to be people who are doing their main event draft and like eight tabling best ball championship teams. 
No, yeah, you're totally right because we know these the grinders who are going to have a huge portfolio of main event teams. So they just by the structure of having a main event portfolio have to be drafting like every day. So yeah. your room is always going to have a few of those guys, but you're right. In Vegas, you are going to have the recreational. Our, our Pat and I's favorite guy, Lance Turbis, a guy that does every one of his drafts, like three sheets to the wind and then some. Uh, yeah, and I mean, he's actually a sharp drafter, but you get guys like that that are there to just have a good time and right. aren't concerned about every single little ADP shift. Yeah, they're not. They're not. They're not like running the. They're not running the calculations between Justin Watson and uh, and Brashad Perryman in the twenty fifth round. They're just letting it fly. Yep, exactly. So I'm actually curious. I know you don't know your draft slot, but you know you're you're going to be try managing where. How do you say you guys don't get a top five pick? How would you guys see yourselves approaching running back in uh, like the first five rounds? Uh, so. It's me, Drew Dinkmeyer, and Michael Leone. And Leone and I are like definitely team like, dude, we don't care if we don't get a if we don't get a running back until Lamar Miller, if we don't get a running back until Latavius Murray, that's fine by us. So I I would imagine that if we get like eight or nine, we probably start uh, Odell Beckham, Juju Smith Schuster in some order. And you know if if uh, Stephon Diggs, Brandon Cooks are still sitting there at the 3-4. We probably just take them. If DJ Moore is sitting there in the fifth, we probably just take him. If Christian Kirk's sitting there in the sixth, we probably just take him. And, you know, like just because there, there's just – there really is not any reason to just take a bad running back just to take a running back. Like you, you shouldn't take Jordan Howard just because you don't have a running back. Yeah, it is true. And I think the thing that makes – I mean, lots of things about 0RB make people uncomfortable, but one of the – biggest reasons is people at the end of the day just like staring at their week one lineup and having like warm fuzzies and warm fuzzies yeah and and not realizing like the whole point is that those wide receivers are going to give you the warm are not going to get hurt and then everyone else like you know like if you were to take if so if you were to take every running back being drafted in the top 24 right now I think that I, I I heard this on some fantasy podcast the other day, and now I'm not going to be able to source it, and that's going to. But the like the median expectation of a top 24 running back would be that like 45 percent of them miss time due to injury. Yeah, yeah, and uh, Rotoviz also had another cool thing. Uh, Blair Andrews put out this like flex tool showing kind of the average points by each draft slot over the course of a draft, and you can also toggle it based on your league settings. And it's not until like pick 100 that the running backs on average, there's a short little window where they score more points. Points than the wide receivers. So it's like, if you were just trying to maximize for points, your first nine to 10 picks would all be wide receivers, which is well, what almost trying so, to do. So in the main format, because you, you only have to start two running backs, but you can start up to four wide receivers, right? Yep. Yep. Yeah, I mean, it just it just makes so much more sense to pound because really, realistically, all you have to do is draft one running back who is going to be a steady source of points, and then you just have to be you have to be better at waiver wiring than ever. Like you just got to be aggressive in waiver wiring running backs. Yeah, and that's why those modified zero RB teams are so nice because you get the bell cow, you can hammer wide receiver for four seven rounds. rounds. Yeah. Yeah. And then all you need to do, even in the meantime, is you, you get a plug guy like a Naheem Hines or a Jalen Samuels who can give you good you know, RB2 production just because of their pass catching. And then you're trying to hit 
on that league winner late. You know, the the Chubb of last year, the Kamara. Yeah, then you take you – you just take all the dudes who are the good handcuffs. You take Chase Edmonds. You take Tony Pollard. You take Benny Snell. You take Justice Hill. Like, you just take all the dudes who, with one injury, have the ability to turn into a smash. Yep. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it sounds easier said than done. But, again, you know, I, I assume you guys uh, and us, like, we, we do want to win our 12-team league. But we're all, you know, chasing the idea of building the juggernaut that could win the $500,000. And this is the type of yeah. build that could allow for that. Yeah, I mean, if you – if so, if I, like, if I – if there was, like, a yes-no wager on does either a zero RB or a modified zero RB team win, I, although I guess that it's probably not a fair wager because I would think – a lot of the a lot of the grinders probably are not grinding zero RB teams. Those like I, I have noticed that like a lot of the high stakes players like like uh, Nelson Souza and those guys they they love the trap running backs. They love they always love Leonard Fournette, Marlon Mack, Aaron Jones. Like they love those guys who get their value in the rushing because they see they don't see those guys in terms of the downside. They see those guys in sixteen hundred rushing yards, twenty rushing touchdowns, and like. That's how they view those guys. Right. And because what? One or two of those guys are actually going to well, have one of those seats. But we're just playing the probabilities knowing that on the lot, that profile is going to bust at that price range more often uh, than not. So, yeah. it's it, But those guys are, are better at player eval than me probably. So, they trust their evaluations where I'm probably going to just trust myself structurally in, in big picture probability more and try to play the odds that way. Yeah. All right. So I don't want you to give away too much of your strategy, but who were some of the late round, like post round 10 guys that you and Pat have been bandying about? Yeah. So the, uh, I, I don't care. Give it, I mean, Pat and I are doing a podcast for four for four this year called ship chasing, where we're literally talking about all our strategy and stuff. So yeah, I, I'm, we're an open book here, but yeah, I think after round 10, you know, that's where we're, you know, we're still loading up on our zero RB running backs you know I think both the past uh two years we've done like three running backs in a row last year we did like uh Rashad Penny uh Freeman and Chubb and obviously two of them busted and and Chubb hit so I like that range a lot I mean I'm pretty sure you're hype on this guy uh the guy still do not want to leave drafts without is Justice Hill right now. oh yeah that that's that is the I would say he is he it's uh, weird enough he and Lamar Jackson are like the two guys who I'm just like if I get those guys I'm feeling good about my draft yeah and it's funny you say Lamar Jackson because Pat and I have been talking more about our quarterback strategy and I'm actually curious how you guys are thinking of approaching it because the three previous years we fully punted because you can get good quarterbacks in the 15th 16th but I think there's some merit to going a couple rounds earlier and trying to capture upside because it goes both ways, right? The fact that you could swing and miss on a Kyler or a Lamar Jackson, you can just replace that on the waiver wire because it's so deep, but it gives you a chance to capture that upside. And Lamar is a guy that Pat has us honing in on as kind of that premier target that's worth reaching maybe a round or two, even when you could get a Rivers a few rounds later. I yeah so this year because I've been doing so much of the best ball championship I've started to think more about quarterbacks in terms of ceilings instead of floors because yeah. you know, we we all want it we all want to win the stinking million dollars right yeah and you're probably not you're not winning the million dollars with the Tom Brady Phil Rivers uh, tandem so I, I probably will argue for Kyler Murray at uh, you know round eight or round nine 
to, to, to Drew and Mike. I'm expecting to be overruled on that. I don't think I will get overruled on Lamar Jackson round 10. I think that we will probably all be able to reach consensus on that being because it would, it would of all 32 quarterbacks who have starting jobs heading into week one, it would, like, it would surprise me the least if Lamar Jackson was like on half of the teams in the final or something like that. Yeah, and I completely agree. So, like, we did a, a, a Football Guys 350 uh, draft uh, last week, and we got Kyler in the 12th, which we I'm you're scooping him up every time. Every time. That, right. Yeah. But you, you also see him going in the 8th, and that's, that's probably too expensive when, like, we literally drafted Will Fuller in the 8th, and I'm not taking Kyler Murray over Will Fuller. Uh, so, yeah. That's the nice thing. I like the idea of having, you know, I right now I think we're kind of thinking about quarterbacks like, yeah, if Kyler falls, you scoop him up. Like Lamar is probably the target. And then what? The like backstop is probably Dak after that for guys that can give you some upside. Yeah, the, the four quarterbacks I, I am drafting the most are very predictably um, Kyler Murray, Cam Newton, Dak Prescott, Lamar Jackson. Those are the four guys who uh, I am most invested in their success in 20. 19 because those are I think I don't even know if you would add if you could add a fifth guy in there in terms of like profitability at ADP it's just, yeah like those are clearly the guys in another thing we've noticed on the waiver wire similar to what I was kind of describing with kickers and defenses where you will see in the main event a lot of these guys like to take two quarterbacks there comes a point in the draft where you know Drew Brees is a lot more recognizable name than say Jalen Richard and people just like scooping that second QB so that also means you know last year when Baker and Josh Allen and Lamar Jackson become available on the waiver wire the competition in the rush to get them is it's almost nil. Severe. Yeah. So Pat and I last year, I, we ha- we drafted Garoppolo and he, you know, obviously got hurt. And then we basically just kept streaming those rookie quarterbacks it throughout and we're fine. So that's another thing. I think we're leaning toward taking a swing at one of those quarterbacks you described, knowing, you know, we can patch it together on the waiver if we need to. Yeah. And I, I think, I mean, I just, I would imagine that that is most optimal. What's interesting to me is that I think, I bet Patrick Mahomes ends up having a higher ADP in the FFPC than in like just, you know, ESPN, CBS leagues or whatever. Someone, someone in these high stakes leagues talks themselves into last year's quarterback one in the second round in every high stakes draft I've ever like witnessed. Oh, yeah. The thing is, Pat and I have met these two guys uh, from Texas, Matt and Mark. They draft every year. They're just like total loose cannons. They draft two QBs in the first 10 rounds every year. They draft two defenses before the 13th, and they have been wildly more successful than we have. So, like, even though these these things aren't strategies we do, there's lots of ways uh, to skin a cat. And, yes, you will definitely see people grabbing two QBs before you've grabbed <laughs> your first. I mean, that's, that's just a, that is like an overall truism about fantasy football is they're just, the, 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 there is no activity that's more like the best laid plans of mice and men often go awry than, than fantasy football. It's like, it's, it is insanely tilting to do all of the work and preparation and get beat by someone that takes Philip Rivers six rounds ahead of ADP. Like it's, there's nothing like it. And it's so fun to be able to like look at someone's draft board and you're just laughing your ass off in your head. Like how the hell did you, and then they're looking at your draft board. They're like, you have no running backs. You drafted. Dude, you don't have any running backs. Yeah. And they're laughing their ass off. And it's like, that's what makes this so fun. 
I, I've had that experience several times this year. I was on um, the Fantasy Sports Network the other day. We did it like a live on TV draft, and I took Melvin Gordon in the third round, and then I didn't take another running back. I think until Justice Hill, so like maybe like maybe like the ninth or tenth round because I was on the turn again. And I mean, everyone on this TV show, they're like, dude, what are you doing? And yeah. at the same time, like Patrick Mahomes went in the second round, uh, Kareem Hunt went in the seventh round, like all these players are just massively overdrafted. And I'm just like every like there was 11 people. And then I was the alien that was like, what's a running back? Yeah, well, th- that's what we did that FBG draft the other night. And Ronald Jones was our RB one in the seventh round. And we were we were getting roasted. But when I look at this roster, like, I'll just read it to you real quick. Juju, yeah. Michael Thomas, Amari Cooper, Brandon Cooks, Calvin Ridley, Tyler Boyd, Will Fuller. Those are our wide receivers. But then That's we, a smash. But then we just hammered running backs. Ronald Jones, Matt Breida, Naheem Hines, Deion Lewis, Darwin Thompson, Jalen Richard. Like, I think we'll be able to cobble together, like, a good running back crew from those, those scratch-offs. I mean, what if, Ron, what if Ronald Jones is just the running back one in Tampa Bay? Like, that's a real thing that could happen. I, I know. I – I mean, I just think the, the way to play it is you buy these guys that are athletic and talented and you hope for some regret, whether it's Royce Freeman, Rashad Penny, Ronald Jones. I mean, these are the guys that, that you take a, a chance on. The, uh, the, data, the data suggests that you should just be targeting every running back in like an uncertain backfield situation. So everyone, everyone obviously listens to JJ Zacharyson's uh, late round podcast. So one of the things he did this off season was like, okay, what does a breakout running back look like? And like the number one thing he found is breakout running backs come from situations where drafters can't figure out what to do. So like, we're talking about like Seattle where Chris Carson and Rashad Penny are right next to each other. We're talking about Tampa Bay where those guys are right next to each other. We're talking about Denver, where those guys are right next to each other. Like, you, if you just hammered the cheaper one, I think, of all of those backfields where no one has a clear answer, you would be finding breakout running backs, like, left and right. Right, and it, I think it's also, it's that, situations where people don't know what to do and situations where people are overconfident. Like, yeah, I, the great example in this, I feel like this is one of the best examples for both zero RB overconfidence, everything last year, the Browns backfield where people are like, Nick, Nick, uh, Carlos Hyde is here. Carlos Hyde is going to be the running back. And then they're like, Duke Johnson is going to get the password. Nick Chubb is an afterthought. And it's like, there is fragility that can occur not only on the field in, in the form of injuries or getting outplayed, there's fragility in trades, in coaching changes. And if you yeah. bet on the talent in those situations where people are overconfident or uncertain, that's where you can really print. Man, I really hope Justice Hill is 2019 Nick Chubb. That would be it would be so good for my heart and soul. I really that just when you look at that backfield in Denver's another one where you look at Lindsay and then well theoretics now hurt, but that one and that, you know, Mark Ingram, you know, Gus Edwards, like people want to think like, oh, I mean, what's what's uh what's Justice Hill gonna do there? But when you really pull back, it's like in what scenario isn't Justice Hill getting significant touches by week eight. It's got the only scenario has got to be just Mark Ingram has like a, a crazy run of like health and good luck. Like it's, it's got to just be Ingram being like, all right, I'm going to take 26 carries a week. I'm not going to complain. And I'm just going to take all these hits playing with Lamar Jackson. Like that's the, the only scenario is Mark Ingram holding up to like 20 plus touches a week. 
Right. And the, the, the only other thing I'm worried about ADP wise with Justice Hill, because he's still in a really nice spot where you can get him in the 12th or 13th is if the team releases uh, Kenneth Dixon or he doesn't make the squad. And then everyone, the narrative of like, Oh, Justice Hill's going to be the pass catching back. He's going to get, he's I'll tell you, I'll, I'll spoiler alert this for you right now. Kenneth Dixon's getting cut. <laughs> I'm just going to let you know. Right. No, no, no. I, I think so too, but I'm worried about that. Then getting that triggering Justice Hill more on people's radar. I He'll still be a guy I want to target how let's uh just because I love talking these zero RB guys and a guy who's you were getting super cheap where is the threshold for you where Darwin Thompson is undraftable so I take I I we talked about this the other day when I did a podcast with Drew but it's just like all these guys we used to be able to get in the 18th round uh Tony Pollard Malcolm Brown Darwin Thompson all these guys we used to be able to take with our last pick, all of them have slid up like three rounds now. So if you want to get Tony Pollard for sure, you got to do it in the 14th round. You want to get Justice Hill for sure, you got to do it in the 12th round. You want to get Darwin Thompson for sure. I mean, I've seen Darwin Thompson go as early as the 12th round, as late as the 16th. I don't think Darwin Thompson in the 12th round is a profitable selection. I would say there's probably more room for profit for that in a weekly management format as opposed to a basketball, just because you can – you can probably move stuff around. You can probably drop guys who you draft after Thompson if things don't work out or whatever. But just in a in the best ball format where you only get you probably only have six running backs. I mean, Darwin Thompson legit may not play a snap until like week ten. That's a real thing. Yeah, he's by far probably the most like fragile or like binary outcome. Uh, it's hard to imagine him just carving out this like cute little pass catching role, right? It's like no, it's he needs be, like the whole pie dudes to get hurt in front of him, probably. But again, like I'm willing, I will bet against Carlos Hyde like every time and twice on Sunday. Like I just, I don't know how people continue to find the enthusiasm for this guy when he's on like his fourth team, you know, he's been in the league forever. Like, what do you think Andy Reid's going to see on the field from Carlos Hyde and just be like, yeah, I want more of that. Yeah, it's like, and it's like Carlos Hyde was never like a phenomenal athlete or player, anyways. Like, I don't know. Like, like if you just if you just pull up their player profilers, Damian Williams is like the way more intriguing player than Carlos Hyde is. Oh yeah, that's why. I mean, when I think about this backfield, I'm thinking about Damian Williams and Darwin Thompson. Just in the same way, last year with the Browns, I was not. I just was not worried about Carlos Hyde. I mean, people were. Taking- I don't think I took Carlos Hyde once in in drafts last year. Yeah, bet bet against Carlos Hyde, whether that means you, you want to grab a falling Damian Williams or reach for Darwin. But, uh, yeah, I'm, I'm not buying Carlos Hyde. So here here's an interesting one, and I, I, I think I've not heard this brought up on fantasy shows yet. What are you doing with Dontrell Hilliard in these championship formats? Because Kareem Hunt's ADP is still really high. Like, like absurdly, I, I don't get anyone who makes the choice to draft – Kareem Hunt this year at all it just feels like it's the dumbest thing you could do yeah I mean if if you get to like week four or five and you're you're four and oh and you have some bench spots to play with and you want to pick Hunt up on waivers I mean that seems fine but yeah like wasting a roster spot now when there's so many guys you could be churning or making speculative ads on no I agree with that uh sorry now I just forgot on the initial question what were you what did you say I mean, what are we doing with Hilliard? Like, oh, do you think Hilliard is a zero RB target? That's interesting. I I like Hilliard. Uh, well, one, you can get him really cheap, and all the beats make it seem like they are. The team like, loves stoked. him, dude. Yeah, 
And, but then I guess the question is, as a thought experiment, like we all like Duke Johnson. He was in that role theoretically and never was able to cobble together production. production really. Yeah. But I mean, yeah, if, if Chubb goes down, uh, he seems like the guy that's going to step up. I think, you know, I, I like him. I'm probably grabbing a guy like Jalen Richard before him, but then I'm probably definitely setting my sights on him. I'd probably rather have him over like geo bernard or like one of the plotters like cj anderson or malcolm brown honestly yeah uh, i i am sort of interested in hilliard like i think there's like maybe a little bit of league winning upside with him not that chubb would get benched but i think that it maybe if chubb did get benched hilliard just becomes like the dude like 15 plus carries five plus targets a week yeah yeah and if you look at like the disparity in adps between say the rb1 and the rb2 i mean is there a bigger gulf right now than so so right now hilliard is not even in the top 200 players on um fantasy football calculator yeah yeah and who else so i I honestly don't know who else is on that depth chart um durnest dirt i don't i don't know how to pronounce his name it's d uh comma Ernest Johnson, so probably Durnest Johnson, something okay. like that. Yeah, so he is, he's there, and but they don't have the guy they've had forever. I'm Dare Ongumbabwe. I'm not. I'm so bad at for this section. Yeah, I'm yeah. so I'm so I'm so bad at these names. Um, so he's not on the roster anymore. He's in Tampa Bay. So like they don't even have that that cadre of like backup running backs that they've had in the years past. It, it's yeah. like it's they have a thin depth chart at running back. Yeah, no, the, the more we talk it out, the more I think, you know, Hilliard is just like a – because you're going to – you can easily get him in the 17th, 18th. You can uh, take draft. him with your last non-defensive pick. Yeah. Like last no, non-D, non-kicker pick. Yeah, and he – you know, when you think about it, like what's going to be the difference between him and Chase Edmonds? They're guys that are going to catch a few passes and have room for massive upside if someone were to get hurt in front of them. I, I like it. Yeah. Man, Chase Edmonds, there, there's another example of a guy who, who just the off-season hype machine ruined him. Used to be able to legit take him in the 18th round every time, and yeah. now, now you got to spend 14th, 15th on him, which is a bummer. Yeah, it is. It's, there's all those type of backup running backs that have the different profiles, and you're paying an air raid premium on Chase Edmonds um, right now. Yeah. Man, and, and, and I mean, I actually think that this is probably one of the most popular that zero RB has ever been as a strategy. Like, I'm getting more comments from people reading the articles and stuff, but like, oh, like zero RB, like, like I, it seems like less people are like, dude, you can't win that way than ever. Here, I will say this. Zero RB as a talking point is more popular it, than ever. Yes. Okay, yeah. But people don't have the stones to do it. I mean, it's look true. at the yeah. FBG boards. You can barely find a roster where someone emerges from the first two rounds without a running back, much less the first five. I mean, yeah. people know what it is. They kind of conceptually understand it, but don't have the stones to pull the trigger on it still. Yeah, it, it is actually, you make, that is a great point. People absolutely love to talk about it. They love to debate the merits of it. No one really, no one really has the, like, no one has the ability to make themselves do it because they just, because they look at their roster and they're like, this roster sucks. This roster is just not good enough. Yeah, I, it reminded me of, you know, Bales uh, had a tweet the other day uh, where he talked about how, like, you don't want to be, 
uh, playing the same game as other people. He says, winning is great and competitiveness is important, but if you continually find yourself with many competitors, you haven't effectively enough bent the rules of the game. Win not by overpowering others, but by gradually removing them as competition by playing a different game. And I was like, that's value-based drafting versus zero RB. Like all these guys are value-based drafting, trying to out, you know, information each other, trying to out, you know, scoop value. It's like, why don't we just play a different game and build a zero RB team? And then we're not, you know, facing anyone with the same structure. Bales always dropping little nuggets of wisdom to the public. You love to see it. Yeah. All right, man. I think, I think that was a good chat about the FFPC and about zero RB. Tell people about the series with Pat, where they can find it. Maybe, maybe a little bit of fantasy Mensa chat. Yeah, yeah, no. So Pat and I are uh, doing. Uh, we did the podcast last year for Rotoviz. This year we're doing it for Four for Four. The new podcast is called Ship Chasing, as in Championship Chasing. And yeah, we're just going to be chronicling. Um, we're going to be doing FFPC, and we haven't uh, announced it yet, but we're going to be doing another high stakes league as well. And yeah, just tracking it throughout the season, how our draft goes. We normally record our weekly podcast right before waivers run, you know, on Wednesday nights for FFPC. So that's always kind of fun us hashing out how we want to approach the waiver. And yeah, looking forward to that. And also doing uh, some videos, uh, fantasy Mensa, of course, with Denny, uh, you can check those out on four for four. And uh, actually, yeah, this year too, I'm going to be doing uh, videos for Roto grinders and those have started to trickle out as well. So yeah, the, uh, the season is, is rearing up. I'm getting ready to go. The season is here. All right, everyone. Uh, we will, uh, we'll be back tomorrow.